Welcome to the one within all to another episode of the Interverse podcast. My name is Chance, your host, and today we're going to be speaking about something that has changed my life for the better in incalculable ways, probably hard to uh, really describe. It's something as a daily practice that I've been endeavoring to stay consistent with since I learned about it back in 2014, I think, maybe 2013. So it's been quite a long while, but the man that I learned from is here with us today, John Monroe, and he has an excellent website, Long White Cloud, Qigong, Qigong, Q-I-G-O-N-G, linked in the show notes here, where you can find awesome instructional videos, even many for free, about this ancient movement practice for health, energy, balance, sensitivity, awareness, <laughs> you name it. There's probably very few things that this particular modality of Qigong cannot help with. So. We're going to learn more about John's school today and his history in many different uh, areas of movement and wellness. Really excited to be getting into this one. Thank you so much for joining us, John. How's it going, man? Welcome to Interverse. I'm good. It's nice to be here. Uh, yeah, and I look forward to our discussion. Absolutely. So maybe we can just start out getting to know you a little bit. I'm curious to find out more of your personal history uh, with movement arts, how you got into it, and transformed yourself into probably one of the leaders in New Zealand in this entire field, if I had to guess. Uh, yeah, that's probably true. Uh, it's it's one of these things where Qigong is still, it's growing. Awareness of Qigong is growing. So uh, the community is relatively small overall. So it's not that hard to be one of the leaders, um, but it's growing very rapidly. I used to say to people, because I've been doing Qigong for quite some time, of course. And, you know, lots of people don't know a lot about it. And so, you know, years ago when people would talk to me and, you know, ask me about what I do and what is Qigong and all that sort of thing, I used to tell them, well, you know, it seems like not many people know about Qigong now, but compared to 10 years ago, like, oh, wow, so many more people know about Qigong now and are doing it. And then sometime later, you know, my story changed a little bit and people, you know, when they were asking me about it, I would say, well, you know, it seems like not many people know about Qigong now, 
but compared to five years ago, so many more people know about it and doing it. And now if I have that same conversation, I tend to tell them, well, look, um, it seems like not that many people know about Qigong, but compared to one year ago, so many more people know about it and are doing Qigong. And so it's really growing uh, very rapidly. But, but yeah, I've been involved for quite a long time. And so, yeah, I'm re- reasonably well known in New Zealand um, and elsewhere in the world to some degree as well. So anyway, how did, how did I get started with Qigong? Um, my first exposure to Qigong was actually through my mother, which is a great start to a story. Um, my mother was a naturopath. And as part of her studies, naturopaths often uh, get exposed to a lot of different natural therapies. So they're kind of like the general practice uh, doctor of natural medicine, where they 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 use and they draw from lots of different therapies, and they you know they can recommend their their patients go and see different people to help them with different things. And so when she was at the naturopathic college. Uh, one of the guest lecturers that they had come in was a, a Qigong teacher. And he, he taught them, you know, just a little bit of Qigong. So they got a little bit of a taste, a little bit of understanding of what it was. And so she came home and showed her kids, one of which was me. I was probably about 10 years old at the time. And, um, and so she, she showed me and, uh, and I thought that was fascinating, uh, particularly being able to feel my own energy. You know, it's it's a little bit like being a Jedi, like, whoa, I can feel energy. I um, had an experience when I first started where uh, I was only maybe like a week into it. And mm-hmm. uh, one of the movements, I did the movement and a poster flew off the wall across <laughs> from me. And I was like, did I do that? I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, sometimes there are just coincidences and sometimes there are interesting things that can happen as a result of... um activating our energy. I used to, um, I had a Kung Fu studio. I taught a lot of Kung Fu for quite a few years and, um, I, I kept frying the clock on the wall. <laughs> I, I replaced so many clocks in that studio. Like every few months I'd have to get a new one, uh, because I used to meditate underneath that clock and sometimes things I guess would get a bit intense for it. Uh, but yeah, anyway, so she, she showed me those, you know, a few simple Qigong exercises. I thought it was fascinating. Um, and then, but that was, that was all I knew, but over, you know, over my, the next years, as I was sort of growing up, I would play with that from time to time because it's like, wow, this is, this is cool. Um, and then later on as a young adult, I actually bumped into the same person who had, uh, taught her at naturopathic college. And I asked him if he would teach me Qigong. And he said, yes, he would, but I'd have to study Chinese medicine as well. So it was rather a, a large package deal to be able to learn to do the Qigong. I also had to do some comprehensive Chinese medicine training, which, you know, in the end was a good thing because it gives me a much richer perspective um, on, on Qigong as a whole and, you know, depth to my understanding. Um, I guess as, as well as that relevant to that as well is I guess my whole life I had done different martial arts. And of, of course, there's a connection between Qigong and Kung Fu as well. And so while my initial training was very much focused on health and the application of Qigong in that way within traditional Chinese medicine, my teacher, my first teacher was actually also the grandmaster of a Kung Fu system. And so after some time of studying, I thought, well, maybe I should do the Kung Fu as well because 
maybe that will also give me some further insight. And so I got very, uh, very involved in the Kung Fu as well. And again, as I mentioned, I had a Kung Fu studio for quite a few years and was teaching a lot of Kung Fu as part of that too. That is really cool. There's a lot of awesome directions to go already, but <laughs> the frying the clock on the wall, uh, from meditating under it, that is so interesting because it comes mm. up all the time when I speak to people that have like a meditation practice or really any daily practices that they make time for that, mm-hmm. you know, we, people that do that, they often will get the question from those who don't like, how do you have time for that? And still to still be productive. And it always makes me think time is not really the linear thing. It's very, very dependent on our belief. And when we make time for what's right for us, we have more time because you'll notice yeah. people that spend two, three hours with their daily practices. They're like writing books and <laughs> getting stuff done and entrepreneur more. And like, you know, everything seems to flow better. So it's maybe the time becomes more efficient or what, but symbolically that you fried the, the clock on the wall when you're doing your <laughs> time conquering meditation. That's pretty cool. Yeah, look, I, get, I think there's multiple layers to that. I think there is a lot just to the becoming more efficient because you're choosing to schedule something in. There's, there's also that the practices themselves make you more efficient in your use of time for other things in your life. You, you can think of, you, you've heard of uh, sharpening the saw or sharpening the axe. The whole idea, if you want to get a job done, you, sh- you make sure you spend the time preparing the tools because then with the sharper axe, you actually chop the wood faster. And so it's worth spending the time to sharpen the axe. You might think, oh, I'm wasting time. I should just get on with chopping. But you, you sharpen that axe first and you actually do the chopping faster. And I think that's the same with, a lot of these sorts of practices where, yes, they take some of our time, but they then help us to use the rest of our time more efficiently. I love that. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. I've never heard that metaphor, but it's so simple and clear. Totally. So I also very much like to hear more about the uh, origins of Qigong, what you may have uh-huh. learned about that, because it does go back probably more into mythology than history, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. Sometimes people ask, like, you know, where did Qigong start? Like, maybe there was one person who you can say, this person started doing Qigong. And it's far too ancient for that. It goes right back into, you know, pre-written history. The earliest archaeological evidence of Qigong dates to between five and 8,000 years old. Uh, and of course, this is things like basic images and there's some pottery that shows someone was doing what appears to be Qigong on the pottery, you know. Uh, so there's this evidence going back thousands and thousands of years. So we don't, we don't have a clear, like we don't have a written documented evidence all the way back there, but we do actually have written evidence that goes back quite some way i think mm, i'd have to check my dates but i think it's about four thousand years or so back to the time of the yellow emperor's classic which is talking about qigong and things like that so written evidence actually goes back quite far and then there's evidence that goes back before that in terms of the origins as we understand where it came from though one of the places uh, or, or, or one of the stories about how qigong uh, started to be developed is that it came from, you know, the Neolithic people. So way back again, pre-written history and they would go and they would work hard in the fields all day. And of course in China, that meant rice paddies. 
right? And so they would go, they'd be working physically hard all day and they'd be wet, you know, and they'd come home. So they'd be cold, wet and tired. That's a great recipe for getting sick and for having all sorts of aches and pains in your body. And so these people discovered that if they came home and they just rested straight away, they just went, oh, I'm too tired, went to sleep, they tended to get sick and get more aches and pains. But if, on the other hand, if they came home and they danced before they then rested, that they didn't get sick as often, they didn't have as many aches and pains. Little by little, as they learnt about and sort of observed what was happening with their dances. Now, of course, these dances were uh, largely based on copying things in nature. They were shamanic dances, essentially. So copying animals, copying the trees and the rain and, you know, expressing these things they saw in, in nature within their dancing. As they observed more and more, their understanding became refined. And it wasn't just that, oh, just dancing helps us to not get sick and not have aches and pains. They started to recognize, if I dance like a tiger, it has this effect. If I dance like a crane, it has this effect. If I dance like, you know, so on and so on, they started to notice the differences. And even that different specific movements had different effects and benefits on their body. And they tied this together with their understanding of energy flowing within the bodies. And, and this really formed the foundation of much of Chinese thought and philosophy, understanding the flow of energy and how you can work with the energy in different ways to make ourselves healthy and, and strong. And so, of course, that developed within Chinese medicine, it developed within the martial arts, it developed within other areas as well. But it came from that initial observing what happened, moving in different ways and how that stimulated the, the body and the energy in different ways. That's really fascinating. And it's something that the, the West could definitely learn from <laughs> in terms of uh, medicinal practices. It's so, but it, maybe there's not enough money in the model of people taking care of themselves for free. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, um, maybe. It, it, it's interesting. It, it's certainly harder to get funding and research and focus behind these areas, but there is some that happens and there are some some good programs. Some of my students, for example, my students in the States um, are quite actively involved with teaching veterans through the Veterans Affairs Administration. And they have some programs within there where there is funding for veterans to receive um, qigong and, and tai chi and instruction as part of helping them with you know whatever issues they have so so there's some of that and it would be great if there was more <laughs> absolutely yeah so do you think that this helps move trauma uh, traumatic energy that's trapped in the body and in the energy field as well yeah, absolutely it can. Um, th this is one of the things where there's, it's not like our energy and our body are completely separate. They're connected. They're completely connected. And we do tend to hold patterns inside our body, inside our energy. We can, <laughs> we can probably have quite a bit of discussion about that. Uh, but we're, you know, w when we have an emotion, sometimes people think of an emotion as something that's in our head, right? But that's not an emotion. That's a thought, right? We, 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 we don't like, we recognize thoughts aren't the same as emotions. Yeah. They can emotions. spark emotions. A certain thought can make you feel an emotion, but it's not usually the other. Sometimes the thoughts come as like a way to try 
to justify or find a pattern for why mm. the emotion is there, but right. a lot of times so, the emotion is so, primary. So a thought or our cognitive awareness is a component of that, but an emotion generally involves something more, and it involves a visceral response inside our body. And so when we have different emotions, we release different hormones, right? Like if you're fearful, you release adrenaline. If you're feeling super ecstatic, you're probably releasing dopamine. You know, when you're feeling really calm and relaxed, you're probably releasing some serotonin. When you're feeling stressed, you're releasing cortisol and so on and so on, right? There's all these hormones. And then as a result of that, our organs also function in different ways with those emotions. So it's, yes, the thought has a role, but an emotion is our mediated response to what's going on in the world around us. Now, how we interpret what's going on around us comes through our thoughts, but then the emotion itself is a physical response inside our body. So when we have these different responses, uh, emotions, in, in connection to what's going around us or our perception of what's going on around us or within us, our, our body responds in different ways. And sometimes our body gets stuck in a pattern. So it then holds on to a pattern of hormonal release, a pattern of postural tension, and so on. And if we, if we have that stuck within us, often we can become we then continue to function, but the pattern is still stuck there within us, right? And so we kind of gloss over it, but it's still there deep inside us. As we work with practices such as Qigong, we tap into and we get things moving again so that that can be released. And so we release the trauma, which is affecting our physical body and affecting our energy as well. Really cool. Uh, I'm super into this entire subject matter. I use uh, sound tuning forks to balance people's energy fields. And there's a whole, there's an entire anatomy to the energy field and what emotions sit in what regions of the uh, six feet bubble space around the body. So I find that Qigong has actually been very helpful for me to get more sensitive to detect using the uh, forks where the static or stuck energy is at in the energy field. Like, uh, when I'm consistent with my practice and then I go to do a tuning for somebody, <laughs> I actually feel like pressure shift changes and like pops in my head, in my ears, in my eardrums uh, when I hit pockets of stagnant energy. So that's exactly the same type of thing that I'm feeling when I'm doing the movements in the Qigong practice. I feel like pops and clicks. And so there's some component there with our bioelectricity, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's lots of components to our living energy. And I think this is what often actually makes it misunderstood because sometimes people, uh, one, they either put it in the like, oh, that's just mystical nonsense because it's hard to define. Or on the other end, when they're trying to, they, they might maybe try to get a bit more scientific about it, you know, and so they try to measure it and find, you know, very specific quantifiable things. But then they sometimes tend to reduce it down too much to think like it's, oh, it's just one thing. And really, our energy is made up of many different components which combine together to make our living energy. Part of that is electrical, right? But part of that is also within other portions of the energy spectrum. Part of it involves light and heat and, vi and other layers of vibration, like sound vibration, for example. Uh, and all of these things combine together within our living energy. If you think about it, like what does it require? What kind of energy does it require for us to be alive? 
there's more than one component. You know, if you ha- if you just have a, a dead body and you run the electricity through it, that doesn't make it alive. Right? But it's one of the things it needs. It needs electricity running through the nerves and through all of the cells of the body for it to be alive. But it also needs heat. It needs physical movement inside. It needs all of these pieces that combine together. And it's that combination of all of those different functions, all of those activities that make up our living energy. And so it can sometimes be a little bit, again, hard to quantify exactly the best instrument essentially that we have we can measure parts of it and and i don't think there's anything wrong with quantifying parts of it if we recognize that it's just a part that it's not the whole but the best instrument that we have for being able to measure or work with energy as a whole is our own body is our own perception because then we are able to put together our perception of all of these parts of the energy. And and we just refer to it as chi. We don't necessarily break it down into electricity, heat, vibration, you know, so on. We're like, ah, chi, uh, because this is the combination of all of those things. I love this conversation so much. I'm really excited about it. Uh, back to the history and the ancient origins. Mm-hmm. I have found a lot of crossover studying ancient Egypt to... Mm-hmm. This type of thing, like I think it's the Dindara Temple. Um, I could be getting that wrong. Actually, I feel like I'm getting that wrong. But it's a uh, the original name for the temple I'm thinking of before it was changed by Egyptologists was the Tantara or Tantara Temple, which sounds kind of like Tantra, which is an okay. Eastern thing as well. And on the the walls there are hieroglyphics that the Egyptologists have called dancers. But uh-huh. if you look at it closely, and you're familiar with movement practices like Qigong or even yoga, but definitely Qigong. It looks like sort of a comic book depiction of one figure moving in like a Qigong style way. (laughs) And I think that's fascinating. And there's a lot of evidence that uh, this system maybe was more of a worldwide single, not single culture, but like unified or a connected culture that the seeds continue to sprout uh, later in separate areas. Or, you know, that we can't really know with the history of the past, but. I guess uh, the reason I want to get into this is because in traditional Chinese medicine, there are different types of chi talking about the parts of the whole and the Egyptians have uh, many different layers of the body or bodies that they talk about, like the ba and the ka. There's several. So Mm -hmm. a lot of linkage there. I'd love to hear more about the different types of chi. Yeah. Well, I guess first in terms of energy or practices, energy practices in different parts of the world, Every ancient culture has energy practices in one form or another. And so it's, it's not like the Chinese just had an, a monopoly on this. And I, I think it's reasonable to assume that actually their awareness of energy arose quite independently in different cultures around the world. And that because naturally we, you know, we have this energy and it's natural that as people are living and working that they'll become aware of it and, you know, start to um, maybe have some conscious awareness and work with that. And so, you know, you look, well, Egypt, an interesting example, but then India, you know, in India, they refer to it as prana. So it's the same thing. It's our living energy. Uh, in um, Hawaii, you know, they talk about ha. The, the breath of life, and they have practices for working with that energy. Sometimes they refer to it as mana, where, you know, a different aspect of the energy. Um, even the Christian scriptures talk about the breath of life, 
and there's this recognition of a living energy. And the, the question then is how well these practices have continued through into our modern era. So it's like we know they all had them, but some of them, a lot of them, most of them probably got lost along the way. And it's like, well, what has been transmitted through till now that we can use now? And what level of sophistication was there in those practices? It's also entirely reasonable to assume that there was quite a lot of cross-pollination between different cultures as they come, came in contact with each other as well. We definitely know there was a lot of crossing uh, of ideas between India and China, that there was communication between them on, on many things and that this affected their practices. Uh, and so it would seem reasonable that, yes, you know, we don't know all of the connections that went on anciently, but yes, there, there were probably connections back to Egypt as well. Yeah, that's a fun area to explore. I love uh, trying to... Uh syncretize with history and mythology and see where the common roots are because it is we're all talking about the same thing this one life force energy or spirit or chi so uh, i guess this would be a good time to maybe start talking about how somebody can go from knowing nothing about qigong and having no practice to having a fulfilling daily practice Mm -hmm. okay yeah well so Hmm. It depends what's available to you. I think, of course, I do a lot of teaching online, uh, particularly during the last couple of years <laughs> uh, with the with the pandemic, and you know that's that's meant that almost all my teaching has been online. But previously, it was sort of some online, more in person. I'm looking forward to doing much more in person teaching again in the future. Um, but you know, if you have some local classes near you. Um, it's great to just go along and try it and you're like, just give it a try, see what it feels like, you know, and then see what you gain from that. Um, if, if you're interested in using online resources, again, there's different ways you can approach this. You can just, again, just try, just like try following along with a video and, and, and just, you know, see how you feel. That's, that's not a bad way to start to just have a taste of it. If you're wanting to learn a little bit more, um, I do have some free online courses that give people an introduction to Qigong to sort of give them a bit of a foundation of not just copying a movement, but understanding how the practices actually work, specifically how they work with the mind, the body, and the breath together to work with our energy. And I think it's really useful to have that understanding because if you understand what you're doing, you're generally able to do it more effectively. And so you're going to recognize the different parts of your practice and how they contribute to the overall experience of what you're doing. Yeah, and you didn't mention that you also have books available. <laughs> I, yes, yes, I do have books available as well. So I have several uh, books. I think I've got four on Qigong at the moment, uh, which are all just on different different sets of, of, of practices that work with our energy in different ways. And yeah, a, a books can be a great way to start that process of learning and understanding as well. I think the big thing though is to, to do it. So whether you use a live class that's available to you, or whether you use online resources with videos and information, or whether you use a book, actually do the practice because just reading about it, just watching a video is like, well, it's kind of like learning to swim, right? 
how like it's very hard to learn to swim without getting in the water. You might think you know all of the theory, but your experience when you actually get into the water is going to be very different. And it's the same with your Qigong practice. The main thing is to get in and do it and then use these other resources as uh, to support you, to, to, to help you to understand what you're experiencing and what you're doing. But you, you, have, you have to actually start doing the practice. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. For me, I began with uh, your videos and I picked, uh-huh. up the, I picked up books as well and the books are great for like just especially refreshing your knowledge on how movement should be done. And you have these great cutout photos of the different aspects of each of the postures, which I found really beneficial. But what you said about just doing it, I for sure noticed that the more I consistently do it, little aspects of how it should feel and how the balance should be and the rhythm and all of that seem to sort of like unlock themselves gradually over time. So. Maybe you could uh, explain a little bit what people notice in terms of the difference between just trying it out and, and, and fooling around with it versus long term daily practice. Like how does that further unlock and wake up your energy and your awareness? Yeah, so there's probably a, a couple of different parts to that. So one is. Yes, as, as we work with our energy, little by little, the flow of energy will open up. And little by little, as we have a focus on that flow of energy, we will tend to naturally want to adjust ourselves, adjust our own movement and our own posture to allow that energy to flow more freely. And you'll, you'll generally do this just unconsciously without necessarily even thinking about it. You'll, you'll naturally want to adjust in order to um, have that energy flow. And this is where having some awareness of your energy like, you know, talked about right at the beginning, you know, being able to feel your energy and it's like, wow, this is cool. And it, it can seem a little bit like a party trick, you know, like, yeah, how useful is this really? Um, what it does is it gives you a feedback mechanism within your body that you can feel how well is the energy flowing? Is it feeling blocked up or is it feeling like it's flowing more easily, more freely? Little by little, as you continue to practice, you'll you'll naturally want to have that energy flow more freely. And so it guides you without necessarily needing any instruction into how to correct and adjust things for yourself. The flip side of that, though, and a big part of the value of instruction and and actually having you know guidance along that process is it can make that process a lot faster because being able to there's lots of aspects of what's going on within our body and with our within our energy that um, are, are not things that people have maybe had a lot of awareness previously in their life or if they have they haven't had a lot of understanding of what it is. And so they're like, oh, there's something there, but I I just don't really know. Where if you have some instruction, this can help to guide you into look essentially looking in the right direction for what's happening inside your body. And then and then you want to be able to perceive that for yourself, feel it for yourself. And this can help you to make adjustments and to understand what's going on within your body, within your energy system, uh, much more effectively and, and again, generally much, much faster. So it's, it's really useful to have some combination of both those things of just simply doing the practice and exploring for yourself. Because in the end, you want the foundation of your knowledge to be your own experience. But then if you're able to have some instruction to help to guide you and refine your understanding uh, as you encounter different things along the way. 
that makes perfect sense. Like for me, um, my practice over time, I realized it had, it started to drift a little bit out of the, like my memory of how the moves should be done started to slightly get skewed over time. And I didn't realize it until I hadn't looked at um, your book for a couple of years. And during my practice one day, I went through each of the instructions in the book and noticed that on quite a few, probably four or five of them, there was some aspect of it that I wasn't quite doing by the book, so to speak. And then whenever I corrected that, I noticed like, oh, this was the best feeling session I've had in a long time. So it it does really help to have that, uh, that instruction and guidance. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And a, and a skilled eye can pick up a surprising amount of detail, things that like often if, if people are not familiar with working with energy, like how can, how can you even see that? How can you tell that? And it largely just comes from experience over a long period of time that you're able to pick up these these little details that really make a big difference to how our energy flows and functions within our body. Yeah, kind of like there are stories of tri- uh, traditional Chinese medicine practitioners who are so experienced and skilled and perceptive that they can just look at somebody's face and tell tell them what's going on with their organs, you know? Yeah. Yeah, well, again, a, a couple of parts to that. Um, chi- Chinese philosophy, and particularly within Chinese medicine, there's a principle of microcosmic reflection, or at least that's the way I often refer to it. And it's the idea that everything that we see on a large scale in the universe, we see repeated down at smaller scales. So everything is like same thing, but at different scales. And so we see the same patterns all the way out into the galaxies coming down to a smaller scale into, you know, one solar system down onto a planet, down onto a region, down into a physical body, down into a part of the body, down into individual cells and so on. And this is really fascinating within our Qigong practice because so much of what we do is connecting to these patterns and mirroring these patterns we see within nature to create harmony within our own body, within our own energy flow. The same thing applies within our body, though. There are these reflexive patterns where what's happening within the whole is reflected in different parts. So one of those being the face, but there's many others as well, like also just the air or the tongue or... um, Many people are familiar with reflexology, the hands or the feet, or even the long bones. There's a Chinese uh, therapy which involves pressing along the bones. And by pressing the, along the bone, you can find out what's happening anywhere in the body because it's all reflected within the patterns uh, with, within the body. And so, yes, with, with skill and with practice, you're able to identify from one part what's going on within the whole yeah, what you just explained is the deepest wisdom that is probably available to humans to recognize that micro macro. It's what in the West they talked about in alchemy with as above, so below, within yeah, exactly. and without. The, the scientists will call it the fractality of nature, how things are self-similar yeah. across scales of dimension. And because of that, it makes describing the full range of potential in terms of like benefits and um differences for your life quite difficult to pin down or nail down some of it is more abstract like i you you may agree that somebody that improves their flow internally will find external obstacles and challenges more easily navigated or even sort of synchronistically moved out of the way is that accurate 
Yeah, absolutely. When, when you find harmony within yourself, you tend to find greater harmony with the world around you. And uh, it, it, that can seem quite magical <laughs> sometimes when you're like, oh, I've been doing some practice. And But what happens when, when you feel differently, when you're operating differently within you, then your interaction changes with what's around you because you are now different. And so, so, so things that were previously an obstacle maybe aren't anymore because you're interacting with it differently. Right. Yeah. It's the sort of difference of mindset rather than things are happening to me. The world is happening to me. I'm happening to the world now because you're taking that initiative with your own daily practice. It's so cool. And (laughs) when you said the word party trick, uh, earlier, it reminded me of this thing that I experienced it was quite a few years ago. But so in Qigong, there's a lot of practices where you're like, especially in the the introductory type practices where you are visualizing or in, in intending to create like in balls of energy between your hands mm-hmm. and things. And for me, I remember the first time where that went from being sort of an abstract idea to something that I actually <laughs> that I could feel pushing. And so the difference for me was like, uh, there, there became a point where I could, when doing some of the practices, like just the basic pushing out and coming back in where, uh, I was moving my hands, but all I was actually choosing to do was breathe and my hands yeah. were just moving and I wasn't sending a brain signal that said hands move now. And <laughs> so you could feel at that point, like that there really is this energy ball between my hands and, I had an experience that proved that to me with another person who practiced Qigong who put their hands in between mine. So mine were widened and theirs were together in between mine. And I did this just breathing in, expanding an energy ball and their hands moved with my hands. Ah. And, then, and then we did it in reverse where he caused my hands to move. And uh, just by doing this breath and this expanding. So there's something really there. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And those those first times are often really memorable. Like you're saying, yeah, the first time and you, you really remember that time that, that, that you had that. And as we talked about earlier, there's many different aspects to our energy as well. And some of them, it's, it's unlikely you're going to be aware of all of them to begin with. Right. You'll start you're like first time experiencing one part and you're like, wow, that's really something. And then sometime down the track, Something will trigger, maybe you've been practicing long enough and your awareness has developed enough and you'll become aware of another aspect of your energy. And sometimes those experiences are just amazing just because you're like, what is that? I, I pretty sure I haven't experienced that before. Or maybe you have, but you weren't aware of it before, you know, and you're like, <laughs> and, and, and you often, or certainly in my experience and certainly, you know, um, students that I have <laughs> tell me, you, you, you kind of have to check, is this really, is this really happening? Is this like, and you kind of have to like, is that, no, it's really, I can, that's a real thing. And it's, um, but then as you continue to practice, it just becomes quite, you just get used to it. And it's like, oh yeah, that's just, that's just how it is, you know? <laughs> yeah. So uh, what you're saying is how, when we have, long-term practice for me, like I find myself trying to see how many parts of my body I can, while I'm in the movements, this is a way Mm -hmm. of keeping my mind from being busy and thinking about other things. Instead, I direct the pattern recognition of my mind to how many parts of my body can you feel 
consciously at the same time. So it will mm. be like, okay, in the hand, can I feel my hands and my Dantian core at the same time? Can I feel my hands and my Dantian and my feet touching the ground at the same time? And uh, does that sound like sort of uh, one of the goals we're talking about here? Yeah, that's, that's a really healthy thing to do. So often within practices, we'll, we'll start by having a specific focus on one, well, one part of the body or one area of the body, one aspect of the energy, because it's, it's easiest for us to focus on one thing at a time. But for the practice to be most effective, there are many things that we want to have all working together in harmony. And so little by little, we want to put this together into an overall awareness of our whole body, of our whole energy system, actually all functioning together. You can think of this a little bit like, uh, well, either looking at a tree or looking at a whole forest, depending on how you want to think about it. You know, if you want to really understand the details of a tree, you're, you're going to look closely at different parts. You'll look at the leaves and the branches and the trunk and the bark and the roots. And while you're under, you know, just starting to understand that, um, you, you're going to focus in quite a lot on those different parts. But then little by little, you're able to step back and observe the whole tree at once. And so your, your, your interest then is in the health of the whole tree and how it's all functioning together. And, and so that's the same within our body and with our energy. Often we will spend time focusing on, you know, some specific little details, but then more and more as we practice, we want everything to be integrated together. And because we find that, you know, maybe we're doing something specifically focusing on our hands, but as you've referred to, which you, you've referred to very well, um, you know, some of the other key things that will influence what's happening with the energy flow to our hands is certainly our dantian, how well our dantian is supporting that uh, energy flow to our hands and then also down into our, our legs as well and because that's going to support the overall flow through our body. Very cool. For people that aren't familiar with that particular vocabulary word, could you uh, define and describe the dantian a little more? Sure. So the, the dantian is literally it translates as cinnabar field. So, or red field. Uh, like, mm, what's that? Um, it, essentially, it's the pool of our energy. It's the center of our energy where our energy gathers within our body. So within our body, um, we can talk about the Dantian in, in many different ways, actually. If we're just talking about the Dantian, we're talking about the center of all the energy within our whole body. So this is located down in our abdomen, our lower abdomen, a couple of inches below your belly button and in the center of your body. And so quite literally, physically, it's the center of our body. So if our whole body is working together and all moving together, the movement originates and issues out from the dantian. If everything's working together, all of the forces are going to transmit through the dantian there in our lower abdomen. From a Western uh, perspective or modern Western perspective, people often talk about the core you know, and they're talking as part of the core, they're talking about the deep abdominal muscles and the pelvic floor and so on. These are the tissues that surround this area in our lower abdomen because force moves through this area. It is important to have those tissues healthy. From a Chinese perspective, we're more focusing right in the center, that center of our energy. So it's a center of physical force and movement through our body, but it's also the center of the other aspects of our energy as well. 
It's right in the middle of our enteric nervous system, so the, the nervous system of our intestines and digestive system. And, and this has, you know, it's a hive of activity, of electrical activity, of physical movement and chemical interactions and so on. Which Neurons even. Yeah, yes, yeah. So the enteric nervous system has its own closed loops. So the enteric nervous system actually processes information before sending it to the brain. So it's not just to the brain and back. The enteric nervous system, in a very real sense, thinks. It processes information and then relays the information uh, to the brain. So, you, you know, quite fascinating. So it's the center of all of this energy, the center of our digestion and so on. And so this is where we think of as, yeah, where our energy pulls, gathers, and then is sent out to the rest of our body. Um, as I mentioned, we can talk about the dantian in more than one way, though. So that's when we talk about the dantian, one dantian. It's the collection of all of the energy, the center place of all the energy in the body. We can also look at this in a more fine-tuned way, though. A good analogy for this, I, well, I think it's a good analogy, um, is if you think about the oceans on the Earth, because in a very real way, the analogy is that this is our ocean of energy. So all the energy that flows through our body, the rivers of energy that flow through our body, eventually they flow to somewhere. They flow to the ocean, right? So it's like, ah, that's where it gathers. And then from there, it can actually come out and be redistributed as needed. Um, but if you think about the oceans on the Earth, how many oceans are there? Well, you can define it in different ways because, like, and people count them in different ways. Are there five? Are there seven? Are there, or is there just one? Because really, it's one big ocean. And so, when we talk about the Dantian, this is it, one ocean, the, the whole ocean. This is the center of the whole ocean. But it is useful actually to divide that into different parts of the ocean and consider them as se separate centers of energy in much the way that we talk about the Atlantic, the Pacific, and they actually have different characteristics. So as we start to divide our understanding of the energy and look at different parts of it, the next common division is to look at three dantian. And so then we have a lower dantian, an upper dantian, and a middle dantian. And so these then become centers of different aspects of our energy. So the dantian was the center of all of our energy combined. When we divide it, the lower dantian is the center of our physical energy. The upper dantian is the center more of our mental energy, that more insubstantial energy. Makes sense, right? It's right there. And amongst the brain, of course, it's the center of that energy. And then... This one here in the middle, the middle dantian, well, this is the intersection between the lower and the upper dantian. These two come together, and this is the center of our emotional energy. And there's a really good insight there that our emotional energy is actually, we talked about this before, it's actually about the interaction between the, the insubstantial, our mind, and the physical it's both of those things working together. And so, and, and then we can even go further. We can look at 7, 10, 11, 13, and so on, depending on if we're focusing on essentially different centers of types of energy uh, within our body. I love this part of the conversation because people can understand it's similar to chakras, but that the, co the whole thing itself <laughs> is one thing instead of needing to see, like I've, I find this when I work with people in the forks with the uh, tunings mm -hmm. that I do that. Yeah. There's a particular type of energy that can, in terms of like difficult emotions or, tr or traumas that can hang out in 
maybe the sacral chakra pertaining to frustration type of energy. But then if you just go a level up to the solar plexus, well, there's also, if you are in the same side of it, left or right or front or back, and it actually has a very similar tone to what's right below it. So it's maybe yeah. frustration type energy in the sacral and then solar, it's moving up to more like anger potentially. And so there's a, a lot of bleed over. It's not hard and fast boundaries. But what I really liked was that I didn't know Dantian was also translated as cinnabar field. <laughs> that, yeah. That's fascinating because cinnabar is an ore where you extract mercury from it. And then mm-hmm. the mythology of all the world, mercury is this, you know, it's quicksilver. It's this as a deity or as in mythology, it's the being that crosses the boundaries and uh, generates the communication between different parts of the whole. So there's so much there. <laughs> Even the word mercury, the mer or mar, these are words actually pertaining to the sea. Myrrh. Yeah. <laughs> and then the cure part of it is not that far off from core and Dantian is the right. core. So at the core of us is this, this ocean of mercurial energy that can become any type of energy as it divides or moves into different par- portions of the whole. Yeah. It's, it's also often connected to the idea of alchemy, right? The idea of transforming el- elements from one to another, whether you take that as literal or metaphoric. To, to, to have that and transform. Uh, so another way that it's referred, the Dantian is referred to is as an elixir field. So it's an, a field of elixir. So, um, you know, that where we create medicine to change things within our body. This is really fascinating. Uh, I'm going to be crunching on that cinnabar field, elixir field thing for a long time. It's really good. Yeah. So let's talk about the, uh, this has been really good for me. The 12 health mm-hmm. movements, the 12 rivers. Yeah. Uh, can we talk about that and, and introduce people that to the idea of the meridians and, and flesh out some of what these meridians are? Cause we're taught these are, this is another way of like considering these rivers that come off of the ocean, right? Yeah, sure. Um, maybe a good way to do this is for me to actually demonstrate some things. If I, Please. Yeah. Is there a video recording of this? People are going to be able to see a video if they want. Yeah. And if people are listening to just the audio version, there's going to be a link in the description so you can yeah. pop right over to the video version. Highly I'll, recommend it. I'll talk it through as well, of course. So they hopefully they'll get the basic idea from listening. Uh, but being able to physically demonstrate is um, likely going to be able to help to understand some things. So there's a connection between what happens inside our body and what happens around our body. The energy flows in and out from the extremities and into the center and then back out again. So the 12 rivers is a set of Qigong practices, which is specifically for our organ meridians. Uh, and so these are the ones where each meridian has a connection to one of the organs inside our body. So I'll demonstrate one of these exercises and then talk about how it connects to the meridian and then that, how that connects to the emotions, the posture and, and so on. Cause there's quite a lot, uh, going on here. When we do these exercises, if you do them well, for each of the exercises, you'll feel some literal physical massaging of the organ that it relates to. 
Uh, you'll also feel some stretching of uh, stretching or compression stimulation of the meridian that relates to that organ, and then some loosening in the spine in the area where the nerves flow to that organ. And so all of those things combine activate and balance the energy flow. All right, so the one we'll look at is the heart. And so this is the exercise that we're going to do for the heart. It's called Wild Goose Beats Its Wings. Ideally for this exercise, you sit into a horse stance. Uh, or if for some reason, because di different people might be listening to this and have different states of health and so on, if, if for some reason standing up isn't really comfortable for you, you can just sit on a chair. Um, we generally don't want to just stand straight upright, though. Sitting down helps to anchor our pelvis. So sitting on a chair is actually really good. And it's going to help to focus the stimulation where we want it to be. So I'll show you the movement first, and then I'll talk about the different parts of it and how it massages the organ, the meridian, stimulates the nerves, and, and so on. So this is the movement. You breathe in as you draw your elbows back, drawing your fists back beside your body. You then breathe out, pushing your elbows up back, forwards, and then you open your hands out with your palms down. So that's the movement. We'll do it again. So we breathe in, draw the fist back, draw the elbows back, breathe out, elbows come up, back, forwards, and then we open out. So the first part, the massaging of the heart. When we pull our elbows back, there's a stretching wide. So this creates an opening around. Our heart is right here, sort of in the center of our chest. It's slightly to the left, but basically it's in the center. So it creates an opening in this direction around the heart. When we push our elbows up, it creates an opening lengthwise upwards through this area around the heart. We pull our elbows back. Then when we bring our elbows forwards, this area in the center of the chest sinks in, and the area behind the heart at the back stretches and opens before we release. So the combination of all these things, opening this way wide, opening lengthwise long, then coming forwards, sinking back in, opening the back, is creating all this movement around the heart in the center. Massaging our organs works in much the same way as massaging other parts of our body. If you have a tight muscle somewhere in your body, your arm, your leg, wherever, and you massage it, well, it helps to relax it. It helps to balance the tension out. It helps to uh, settle the pattern of nerve activity, and it helps fresh blood to flow in and so on, and it helps to keep it healthy. It's the same with our organs inside our body, and the heart's actually a really good example of this because in Western medicine, Western emergency medicine, if someone has an issue with the heart, what do we do? We massage the heart to keep it functioning before you know other medical in intervention may also be necessary, but we massage the heart to keep it going. Um, the same is true with our other organs as well. It's, of course, quite difficult to just put your hand in and massage different organs, although, again, within the context of surgery, if the body is open, this is what surgeons will do sometimes for different organs. They will literally massage them. Uh, but in terms of practical day-to-day, that's not going to be practical for most of our organs. So we do this with movement. And by moving, we're able to stretch and compress to massage those organs 
to make them healthy, to balance out the nerve activity, the blood flow, so on, the tensions within them so that they can be healthy. Um, if you want to get an idea of this, so we are massaging it right through the whole movement, a good way to get an idea of this is sometimes to do the movement faster because if you're kind of uh, moving really slowly, that might not feel like much of a massage, but if you go a little bit faster, you'll feel it more. You can simplify this movement. And, you know, if you're trying, if you're following along trying this, you can just pull your elbows back, forwards, back, forwards, back, forwards, and get a feeling of the movement and how that massages the heart in the center of the chest. Now it is, it's giving this nice little massage. So there we go. We're physically massaging the heart. Next part, the heart meridian. So these meridians, they're the same ones used in acupuncture. If any of you receive acupuncture and the acupuncturist puts needles in in different places in your body, it connects into these flows of energy. And so by putting needles somewhere in your body, it can have an effect, you know, quite far away because of the way the energy flows and certainly into the organs themselves. The heart meridian starts deep inside your armpit and it runs down the lower inside portion of your arm to the inside of your little finger. And it does this on both sides. All of the organ meridians are bilateral. So when we do the exercise, ideally we're gonna feel stimulation of the meridian as well. So if we bring our elbows back, fists back, you should feel a little bit of a pull, a little bit of a stretch in your armpit. If you don't, just pull them back further until you feel there's a little stretch in the armpit. Then from there, as we push our elbows up, there's a pulling stretch from the armpit up to the elbow. We then bring our elbows back down. Then as they come forwards, this last part's a little bit subtle, but we open our hands out with our palms down. And it's as if we're pushing gently with the edge of our hand. There's this curved shape in the arm, and there's a little stretching pull from the elbow to the inside of the little finger. So armpit, armpit to elbow, and then elbow to the little finger. So the same movement that massages the organ internally also stretches, stimulates, activates the meridian. Maybe there's a connection. Um, and so in terms of home remedies, simple remedies, one of the things that people can do if they're experiencing a heart attack, definitely get medical help. While you're waiting for the medical help, you can bite on the ends of your little fingers. And this sends a little signal of energy back up through the heart meridian to help to strengthen and stabilize the activity of the heart while you're waiting for further help. And so this is a, a, you know, a useful little, very simple remedy that you can use uh, if you ever happen to be in that situation. So if the loved one is having it, could you like pinch their little fingers or something? Yes, yeah, you, you, you would pinch. You don't want to bite someone else because it's hard to gauge the pressure. Um, if you're biting yourself, you can feel how hard you're biting. Um, but yeah, yes, you can pinch and squeeze and send some energy um, up that way. Yeah. All right. So yeah. So in terms of the activation of the nerves, this, this is hopefully fairly easy to feel, particularly through the spine right in there behind the heart. You can feel the loosening that goes on uh, with that movement. So if we then look at how this then ties into the function of the organ and then the emotions and the posture as well, they kind of all go together. So if someone is having a heart attack so or just a pain in their heart, it can be some kind of bad heartburn or something, so a real pain in their heart, there's a couple of different ways that their body might respond. 
One is that they might close in around it like this. They might go, oh, right? That seems reasonable. And this is the body's instinctive response to protect the heart. There's another kind of response that they might make as well when there's a pain here. They might go, oh, like this and like arch away. And again, this is an instinctive response to relieve pressure on the heart. Now, these are the extremes, right? The same thing also happens on a much finer level where there's just a little something going on. Internally, our body will still close around or arch to relieve pressure, but much, much more subtly. And, and it's more for this sort of thing that we, you know, we're wanting to use our Qigong practice regularly to keep things in balance, to release these little tensions that might develop and accumulate within our body. So if we have a pattern which is closing in, because it's easiest to see in the extreme, right? It applies to the subtle, but the extreme we can see more easily. So if we have one that's causing us to close right in here, what will the exercise do? As we pull those elbows back, ah, oh, yeah, opens it up. Oh, opens it all the way up. Fantastic. And so it helps us to get out of that pattern which we've closed in around our heart. Equally, if we have a pattern where we're going the other way, what will the exercise do? Well, initially, as we pull back, not much. As we lift up, not much. But as we come to the end of the exercise, oh, it's going to help that to sink back in come back into balance. So this ties in also with our emotions. So within Chinese medicine, we recognize a pattern of connection between different types of emotion and different organs because our organs respond differently to different emotions. The primary emotion connected with the heart is joy, right? And so if you think about what is the posture of joy, the posture of joy is a sense of openness, expansiveness through the chest, right? And it's and in a subtle way, it can just be a subtle, gentle opening. And it's extreme if you, you know, think about someone really celebrating, it'll be like, ah, you know, opening up through the chest, joy. And this clearly has a direct effect on the heart. The flip side of that is to be disheartened. Right. So, and, the, and this is, you know, and again, an example of the connection between different cultures. All cultures to some degree understood these connections. It's just how sophisticated they were and understanding it beyond that. If we're disheartened or discouraged, what happens to our posture? It's quite specific. The center of the chest sinks inwards. So if we're disheartened, what will the exercise do? Oh, help to bring us out of that. We pull those fists back, we stretch, we open the chest, right? If we're too joyful, now that sounds like a strange thing sometimes, doesn't it? It's like, too joyful, isn't joy good? Um, all emotions are healthy for us in the right balance. All emotions can be harmful for us in the extreme or if we become stuck within an emotion. So even an emotion like joy, where like, yeah, we want more joy. If you have it too extreme where you become stuck, it becomes unhealthy for you. In the end, what we always want is balance and harmony. So one of the main times that people have heart attacks, now this is someone who already has a weak heart, of course, but one of the main times that someone has heart attack is when they have unexpected good news. 
So they, they hear something and they like weren't expecting it. They, oh, that's so good. Too much for the heart to handle. And, <laughs> and that can cause a collapse. Another part of that in terms of getting stuck in this emotion is if we, again, we get this expansiveness through our chest and we get stuck there, often we'll call this something else, right? Pride, arrogance. This isn't good for us. So again, if we're disheartened, the exercise pulls us out of that. If we've become too far the other way, we've got too much pride, too much arrogance, the exercise helps us to come back into the center. And so then when we're in our center, we can move easily between different states and we can experience our emotions fully. We can allow our energy to flow fully without it becoming stuck. That is a great demonstration and really fun for me to get the deeper, deeper explanation of the emotional component to the, uh, the Meridian system. So we're at the first hour marker. So this is a great point to tell people where they can find you, what they can learn from your websites and, you know, how they might connect with you or learn this practice for themselves. Yeah, cool. Look, um, longwhitecloudshigong.com. And on there, there's a whole lot of different resources. There are a bunch of just free videos of different practices if people want to try them out. There are links to a couple of free introductory courses, which again, a good way to start to understand what's really going on within the practices. There are a bunch of articles and there as well, written right about different aspects of Qigong, and then also more comprehensive courses. Um, one of the main things I do at the moment is I run instructor training courses. So teaching people to teach other people Qigong, which is a wonderful thing to be able to share with other people. And a lot of people also do those courses just because they want to go really deep into the practice for themselves and really understand how they work. So you can, you can find all of that on, on the website there. All right, people, check out Long White Cloud Qigong, and we'll be back for the second hour. Plenty more things that I'm curious to hear John talk about. Thank you so much for being here. This has been an extreme treat for me to get to hear you speak about this stuff that has been so important to my life. Cool. Thank you, Chance. Yo, everybody, thanks for tuning in to another phenomenal episode. Seriously, though. I had the best time talking to John. I've known about John for getting on close to a decade now. And this was our first time actually getting to meet. And you know what they say, never meet your heroes, except one of the, this is one of those exceptional times where there's a good reason this guy was on, you know, a bit of a pedestal in my mind. Not that, of course, hero worship is healthy, but that the information that he brings and his attitude and the holistic approach of integrating movement practices, breath, spirituality, and traditional Chinese medicine cannot be a better combo. In fact, if I was ever to go back to full primary education of some kind, I say primary education, but like, you know, some sort of institutional education or apprenticeship, I'm pretty sure the road I would go is traditional Chinese medicine. Because, you know, not the like watered down, <laughs> CCP Chinese Communist Party version, but the real good stuff, the ancient wisdom with the herbs and the, the five elements. I want to learn more about that system. 
there's so much that I could have talked to John about that we didn't have time for this episode, but I'm going to go ahead and go over the plus extension stuff before I get into talking about some of my reflections on this conversation. Before I do that, please do yourself a favor and go check out longwhitecloudqigong.com spelled out in the show notes and with a link to it and everything. You can actually learn this stuff. He's offering it to you for free. And if you want to get more in-depth instruction, then you can pay a, probably not that much. I haven't checked in for a while, but it's entirely worth it. This is life-changing stuff, guys. I, this is one of those times where it's not just something I'm interested in and wanting to have a talk about, but it's like, this is my daily practice, specifically the one he teaches. There are tons of Qigong uh, schools of thought, lineages sets of movements out there in the world because it's a practice as old as we have historical record for. But I can't say I've compared a lot between like his system and other systems a little bit. All I know is this system for sure works like, whoa. So check that out. Please do yourself a favor. And if you did already hear the plus extension, stick around for after I'm done with the uh, description of what's in it, because there's some things I want to announce and you know, some thoughts that I have left on the table that are worth maybe hearing about. If I don't know if you like me, <laughs> if you like this show, you probably like me. I always wonder how much people like skip the outro or listen to it, but I'm going to do them anyway, because it feels important to, you know, put a nice little bow on things and wrap it up. Anyway, so the plus extension, you can get the second hour of this conversation on Rockfin or Patreon link in the show notes, $10 a month for Rockfin. But it is highly worth it because you get the premium content from every creator on the network, which is a nice growing network. But it's also curated. So it's not like willy nilly, overwhelming amount of stuff. It's, we're really stacked with the community of people, you know, that relate to the type of things that you might enjoy from Interverse, like Odin's Alchemy, Rogue Ways, Benjamin Balderson, Lindsay Sharman, respectively. Uh, many, many other excellent creators on Rockfin. So that, those are just a few. And in the uh, Patreon version, it's $5 a month, but it's only me. However, you get a cool custom secret URL link for an RSS feed that you can plug into your favorite podcast player and get the audio show downloaded straight to whatever app you use on your smartphone. That's handy. And the video episodes are available on both versions. And this is an episode where right now, if you're listening to the audio only and you never switched over to the video, I highly recommend doing that because especially the uh, second part or the last part of hour one, he goes through a demo of one of the movements that you could try along at home and feel the massaging of your heart. It's so freaking sweet. It's called wild goose beats its wings. And if you happen to like that movement, I'll let you know that the uh, time of day associated with that movement would be 11 to 1 PM, 11 AM to 1 PM. So in the second hour, we talked about the extraordinary meridians, which are different than the, the main meridians of the physical body. These are larger flow energy channels. Very fascinating topic. And we discussed uh, one of the systems of movements that he teaches that relate to the extraordinary meridians. These are like biofield meridians. If you hear me talk about the biofield, I'm talking about the area, the flow around your body. This is more pertaining to that rather than organ systems directly and like nervous system connections in the physical meat of the body, 
We also talked about meridian energy in general as the blueprint for the physical body and why working with your meridians. (laughs) Just think about that word. I'll talk about it in a second. Uh, (laughs) Why working with them really does help your body as a primary foundation for health and for its own expression and building itself. We discussed some of the more advanced possibilities with the skill levels you might develop directing your energy flow, doing practices like Qigong, a little bit of like maybe do's and don'ts, but generally there's nothing dangerous about a beginner getting into this stuff because you won't have the energetic awareness to do anything kind of wrong. (laughs) So jump in, it's totally fine. And uh, we had a nice little flow about Qigong's ability to help you develop spiritually and how Qigong can actually lead you to learn energy healing. Qigong healing is like, it's different than Reiki. Um, I kind of feel like it's, you can feel it more, you know, think of that Dynamo Jack guy. If you've ever heard of those videos or seen those videos, the dude that's like lighting, lighting newspapers on fire with the energy projected from his hand. I actually have a good friend. <laughs> who I don't even think she practices Qigong, but she told me about like looking at the energy lines between her fingertips and practicing seeing that that subtle energy and a spark shooting out of her fingertips. And I'm like, I believe it. I've seen some stuff, man. <laughs> We're like modern humanity is operating on like half of 1% of our energetic potential as embodiments of the divine source. It's crazy. Uh, we talked about the, uh, the roadmap of the movements versus the actual experience, uh, a detailed guide to peak organ function mapped to the ver- the hours of the day. This is really cool. Very, very cool because the 12 meridian movements of the uh, 12 river system, which is probably the first one you'd learn if you went and checked out his website actually does map to, like a clock to the hours of the day. And it was fascinating to hear about sort of the primal nature-based reasons that the organ function map came about of like this organ is most active at this time of day and this organ after that. And it makes perfect sense. It's super logical, super enlightening. And then we talked about the um, organs that like what emotions connect to what organs. That's very interesting too. We talked about that some in the first hour, but we got into it more deeply. And then a really inspiring flow about the polarity of emotions and how things like anxiety could be transmuted to excitement, that the feeling is really the same in your body and how a lot of our issues with mental health probably also have to do with like a misinterpretation or a a negative interpretation of feeling and thus like a rejection of feeling. So there's all that and tons more in the second hour. This is one to sign up for folks. If you are not already signed up and if you are, thank you so much. I know it's worth it. So I really appreciate the reciprocity that we get to share. You know, you guys love this show. I love this show. I love you. (laughs) Do you love me? (laughs) It's Leo season. I want to know. Tell me I'm good. (laughs) So, okay. Um, I thought that maybe in the sec, like after I'm done going over the plus stuff, I could talk more about my experience with Qigong. So very fascinating story about how I actually discovered it. I'm trying to decide like how much to trim about this story because it's like a long journey that led me there, but uh, I'll try to summarize it somewhat. Right. So 
there was a point in my early 20s where I was exploring shamanism and shamanic journey work, like using drum and rattle tracks to go on inward journeys. And during one of these experiences, I, well, I was considering going on like a trip to St. Louis for the weekend by myself to just like see what happened. I knew some people there, but I didn't know what I might get into if I went. And so I did this like shamanic journey uh, and got very clear guidance, like definitely go. And a lot of other wild stuff happened, like a dismemberment, rebuilding of my astral body type experience and meeting some some uh, spirit animals that I guess are guides for me and really cool. So I end up going and a lot of f- uh, fun and crazy stuff happens. I wind up getting to crash with a friend that I had met at a festival a few months prior. If you've ever heard me tell a story about seeing somebody turn blue while they were sun gazing, this is the friend that I was with when we both saw the guy turn blue who was sun gazing. And uh, we hung out for the evening and he gave me, I was just getting into cri- like crystals and rocks and stones. And he gave me this really cool, mysterious, like maybe Jasper, yellowish, maybe serpentine. I don't even know. Cause back then I was like, not so keen to know what crystals were what. And this was, he didn't really know what it was, but it was cool little like, worry stone like a pocket stone and i i gratefully accepted it and then the next day he invited me to go to a sweat lodge with some native american elders i thought i would condense the story but apparently i'm just gonna tell the whole story yeah and i went to this sweat lodge and they had this pipe that they had pulled out of the ground that the um the elders lived on And it was like thousands of years old, according to historian appraisers. It was this black clay pipe. It was shaped like a serpent. And they had said that they had done some various types of like hmm, psychic probing with the thing and discovered that it had a spirit that was like attached or living within it. But it was a benevolent spirit that had guided and watched over ceremonies thousands of years ago with the natives who built or like uh, crafted that awesome piece of artwork as a uh, ceremonial pipe and it was a big thing. So <laughs> I had this inclination of like, well, they asked me like, if you want to put any items on the altar outside of the sweat lodge while we are in ceremony, go right ahead. And they used the sacred pipe in the sweat lodge ceremony. And then they put it on the altar with, with everyone's items. And I decided to take this pocket stone I had and put it on the altar. And I put it on top of the pipe actually with the intention of like, Hey, this cool spirit, I was really reckless back then, but it was totally safe, totally fine. But like this cool spirit that's in the pipe, they said its name was Atoshi. And I asked for that spirit to also put some of its energy and consciousness into the pocket stone that I had just received. And I got the strong impression after the grueling and intense, but enlightening sweat lodge experience, very empowering experience that the stone had taken on the energy of this spirit guide of the serpent pipe. Very cool. So I carried this thing around for a really long time, like every day in my pocket. I was super attached to it. I thought it was awesome. And one day I was, um, many months later, I was at a big event. Like it was a music festival in Wisconsin. And it was like 2, 3 a.m. Everything was winding down. People were walking back to their camps and I left my camp to go over to the uh, the water to fill up my water. And while I was walking through the crowd, I got this, I saw like just a random stranger and I got this like zing right in my head, this message that was like, give me to her. 
someone I'd never met in my life, never met again. <laughs> and the pocket stone, the Atoshi stone wanted me to give it to her. I was like, okay, I really like this stone. I don't really want to give it up, but I'll practice detaching from attachment here and follow the voice. And I gave it to her and I told her the whole story about it. Maybe even a little more detail. You know, I'm sure that I'm glad it was the right person because you just walk up to someone to tell them all this crazy shit like shamanic journey and sweat lodge and there's a spirit in this rock and uh, here you go. It wants you to have it. (laughs) But she was like super into the whole thing and grateful. And she's like, I don't know what to give you in return, but I'm just getting this message. Like I should tell you to look into Qigong. Do you know what Qigong is? And I was like, never heard of it. And she was like, I don't know what it is either, honestly. But I heard about it and something is telling me that that is the exchange here. Give you the message to check out Qigong. And I was like, all right. So I, when I got back from this trip, that was one of the first things I did. And I landed on John Monroe's long white cloud Qigong website and immediately started practicing with the videos that he had up there and changed my life forever. Helped me develop energetic sensitivity. Incredibly important in my journey with energy healing to learn how to feel the flows within my own body. It complemented what I'd been learning about shamanism perfectly and all kinds of interesting experiences happened out of that, like an improved ability to see auras. And um, (laughs) I think I said this in the episode, but early on in my practice, I, I did a movement and like, as I was swinging my arms a certain way, a poster on the wall in the direction of my arms just flew off the wall. And I was like, Whoa, what is this? (laughs) So guys, check it out. It is incredibly real. And, uh, I was very dedicated to my practice for many years, but kind of fell off in recent years where it was just more, maybe like a couple of times a week and sometimes not even that, but for the last nearly 40 days now, I've been keeping track of my journal. I've been doing it every day for like, Minimum, I probably go through it if I have very little time. I will get through it in like 30 minutes, but more likely I spend an hour or more in the practice and it is so rejuvenating. Awesome. And it's helped me out massively with my tuning practice with clients because I get a lot more direct messaging and uh, knowing when I'm dedicated to my Qigong practice, when I'm in the tuning. Like the difference between daily Qigong and tuning and not is that when I'm doing my daily Qigong and I hit these static spots in people's aura with the tuning force, I actually get like a, a direct like pressure change in my eardrums and they crack and pop with like this electricity that feels very similar to how it feels when you're clearing out like blockages and stagnant chi when you're doing the movements. So <laughs> yeah, check it out. Please check out Qigong. And if, again, if this is one of those, if you're one of the people that tunes into the audio only, this is one to go back and watch the video of. And in general, I'd love it if you watch the video versions of the show when you can anyway, because I do put a lot into like the graphics and making it look good and you can see our faces. But in this one, you probably noticed that John was actually doing a demonstration of the wild goose beats its wings movement. So if you want to actually get the benefit of that demo, which is awesome, then go check it out. Super worth it. And also, you know, another reason to check it out is because I, I love how, and I would, I kind of wish I was more like this. I, I kind of want to imitate it, but 
John talks with his hands and you can just feel the energy from the palm shockers of this guy. And like, it's almost as if you had it on mute and you were just watching him. You would kind of get the gist of what he was saying because he talks with his hands so much. And I don't even know how to do that. Like that language is not really in my wheelhouse yet, but it was cool. You you could feel it. There's just like more feeling to his communication because of the way his hands were so animated. That might seem like a silly thing, but to me, it was awesome. And there's also some really cool word magic that I hadn't really uh, pondered yet in this episode, like Meridian, which that word is talking about the flows of energy within your body and from point to point in your nervous system. And and so think about that word, mer or mar, which relates to water and, uh, or it's Mary, really, M-E-R-I, Mary. You know what I'm saying? And then Dia or Dian. Dia is like Dios or day. It's all these things. So it's like the the energy flow of God within your body, the Mary Dian. And it's got both polarities of this masculine and feminine just built into the word. And he blew my mind when he told me that the Dantian, the energetic core of our body, the ocean of energy is uh, directly translatable as cinnabar field. And we, maybe you don't know this, maybe you do. I don't remember. It's been a week. I think I mentioned it in the episode, but like cinnabar is where you get mercury from. So, whoa, whoa, because this is like the bridge, the energy bridge in your body. You know about mercury. We talk about mercury all the time. So it's cool. This is really cool stuff. Wow. I've been talking for a minute. Uh, Please. I've got to tell you guys about all the affiliates that you can check out that are great for you and also support the show in return. Um, before that, get into my audiobook, July's End with Black Swans by Dylan Sicosio. If you want to upgrade your symbolic literacy, you need to listen to that book. Maybe even get the ebook copy. Both are good because the ebook is going to show you what it looks like with the words and the phonetics and the audiobook, which I try, I worked really hard to make sure of this. The audiobook is going to let you hear how it sounds correctly. And both are important. And once you get the keys to this linguistic code of the logos, it's going to apply You're going to be able to apply it everywhere all the time. It's going to massively upgrade your symbolic literacy and ability to interpret the messages of spirit and universe and logos in your own life and also in mythology and in every language. You can just pull the story right out of the words, just like I did with the word meridian. And also, I did a great audio book for Lindsay Sharman's novel, Sign Curve of Aeons, Phytalis. That's a fun one, too. Support, the, support me. Support Lindsay. Enjoy a great novel. Highly recommend. I've also got an affiliate link for Clive DeCarl down in the bottom of the show notes. And uh, Vicky, who works for Clive. Hey, Vicky, thank you so much if you're listening. Much love. Uh, she got in touch with me a little while back to talk about an email, something about I had something I talked about. Um, it was the David Whitehead interview on Truth Warrior where I went on there with Gabriel and we talked about placenta stuff and birth sorcery and legal stuff. And She got a lot out of that and she sent me a really nice care package of magnesium and vitamin C and a bunch of other stuff, zinc, super kind. So thank you so much. I was actually low on some of that and I was out of magnesium and it's going to help me a ton to have the magnesium back into my rotation. And you guys out there, if you don't know enough about this stuff, go check out my previous episodes with the great and legendary Clive DeCarl, where you can learn about these supplements and how nutrition can transform your health. 
but it's not just one thing. Holistic health is about the, the movement practice, the mind practice, the breath practice, the nutrition practice, and even the light and the way that we interact with light, hugely important, which I will be getting into sooner than later in an episode. Your light life. <laughs> uh, other affiliates, uh, we've got the AquaCure by George Wiseman. Incredible device. Everybody is raving about it that's got one. Get your hydrogen journey on. Upgrade your body with the primary nutrient of all life, hydrogen. Thank you to everybody who's bought with my affiliate link. That supports the show a lot. And let me know how it goes for you. I want to hear people's hydrogen story. And of course, we can work together for tuning. I've had incredible times with clients lately. Some really big shifts and some you know, deep-seated pain and uh, physical discomfort with health problems have seemed to be really helped by the tuning process. And in fact, there's like, I can't really name something that isn't helpful for. So get in touch. Chance at interversepodcast.com. Check the show notes for interversepodcast.com slash sound dash healing. If you want more information about that process or we can work together, sling some tarot cards. There's the magician. Just pulled it off the deck. <laughs> Let's get it on. <laughs> Let's do some Oracle readings, spiritual guidance from universe through the cards. Really good time too. You can even combo it up and do a sound healing followed by an Oracle reading. That is probably the greatest bang for your buck and best way to go. You get a bit of a discount for doing that. So uh, I think that's all. Big and big outro, big episode. Really exciting episode for me. Been wanting to talk to John Monroe for years. And this was the perfect time because I was already getting back into my practice really deeply. So going to play us out with an awesome track by Drum Spider called The Birds. But before that, another announcement. Music and Sky Festival in October, in California. Check the links in the show notes for that too. You can use the coupon code that is listed there for 50 bucks off your uh, your Music and Sky ticket. It is the festival being put on by Mike Winner of Alpha Vedic. It is not your average festival. This is a soul family reunion, including farm to table food with your meal ticket or with your uh, the ticket of your attendance. So you get your meals given to you great healthy meals, which if you guys are into festivals at all, you know that eating healthy at a festival is challenging and usually requires a lot of work and preparation, but not for this one. Just roll up. Let's do this. <laughs> Soul family party. We're talking like 500, 600 people at this thing. You get a chance to meet everybody. You get a chance to meet some legendary heroes, including Eileen Day McCusick, the sound healing lady that I learned from the guru herself and Mike Winner, of course, and many other awesome teachers, healers, musicians. It's going to be cool shit, guys. So if you're anywhere near California at all and you want something badass to do in October, come to Music and Sky with me and get in our Telegram group. Check the show notes for that too. Great way to stay abreast of all the new stuff and anything that I might want people to check out outside of my normal rotation of what gets posted on my own feeds. And man, life is good, right? Aren't you guys stoked on life? I love this time of year. Leo. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I'm going to play this out. Drum spider, a track called the birds, making me think of the language of the birds links. is for everything in the show notes. Beat those wings, wild geese. <laughs> all right. Love you all much, much love. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye.